When someone talks about camping, I have to be honest with you, my, my heart sinks a little bit. Julie's laughing because she knows what's coming, what I'm about to describe. And I know some of you love camping. You love it. Like, like that's your thing. You like being outside. You like roughing it and all the F elements. But I also know some of you, when I say the word camping, you think about something that's not camping at all. A more recent fad and growing fad of camping in America is where you spend literally thousands of dollars just to make life a little bit harder for the weekend. Where you pack up everything you need from your house and you have to drive at least 20 minutes away to park right next to some stranger for a night or two. Where you willfully box your family into the most uncomfortable space. Very small bedroom, very small bathrooms that, that don't have a lot of water pressure. An RV. That's RVing. That's not camping. And I have nothing against RVing or RVs. With six kids, uh, Danae and I realize the only way, if God blesses us with grandchildren, the only way we will ever spend time with all of our grandchildren is to sell our house and buy an RV and just go around and park in their driveways. That's our retirement plan. So I'm not against that. I see that in my future. And, and some of my fondest memories of camping were with my grandparents who had an RV. And it was always fun for us to pack up their RV and drive really five minutes from their house and camp overnight at Henry Horton State Park. Or they would take us through... Uh, Chattanooga through the Smoky Mountains to explore the great state of Tennessee. And so some of my fondest memories growing up are in an RV. But it was on a mission trip. I guess it's been eight or nine years ago now that I realized that that's not camping and we should not call that camping. That has nothing to do with camping. That's living in a, in a, in an automobile for a weekend. But I was on a mission trip to Peru where we hiked into a very indigenous, unreached people group where a church was being planted. And we spent a week sleeping on the ground in tents. And that's what camping is. That is what camping is supposed to be. And there we are in the Andes Mountains, really miserable. And that's what camping should be. That's the way I think about camping. It's just miserable. And this confirmed it. All week we ate from small uh, cans of food that we just crammed into all of our backpacks. We were exhausted from hiking two hours a day and, and working in the mountains. And so we would sleep for two to three hours every night for seven days. And then midweek, we were informed that we had actually set up camp. I think it was 17 of us. We had set up camp in the village's septic field. And this is where they dumped all their waste and then they used what was there and what was cultivated and whatever grew or whatever, however you do that, to fertilize their crops. And there we were with tents in their septic field, the stuff they were going to use to grow potatoes in their village. We, we were living in it. And now mission trips are supposed to be life-changing experience. And you're saying, you guys recruit people for mission trips all the time, and here you go. That sounds like a very miserable trip. That sounds like a very miserable experience. And it was. 
Like there's no, I'm not going to offer any redeeming part of that story. That was a miserable week. We did get to see the nations, the need among the unreached. But, but physically, that was miserable. And my gut turns when I think about it. Especially toward the end of the week when we were thinking, maybe we're running out of food out here in the middle of nowhere. And we, we got everybody together and they just started pouring all of their food into one big pot. And then we would heat it up on a propane tank and at night we would eat things like tuna mixed with spaghetti and, and just to get by, just to get to the end of the week. Now that's what I think about when someone says camping, when someone thinks, talks about roughing it. That is the image that comes to my mind and I don't want to do it. Well, here in our passage, Jesus invites the disciples to come away from the city. To, to come to a desolate place. And when we read that, and often when we read this passage, we think he's taking them to a retreat center. We think he's taking them RVing, where they're going to go to the Galilee State Park and they're just going to enjoy some time away with Jesus alone, Insta Bible and coffee every morning with, with the trees in the background. That's what we think Jesus is inviting the disciples here to. But that's not at all where, where he's calling them. We should think more like the roughing it in the septic field. This is where Jesus is calling the disciples in our passage. Notice verse 30. The, uh, the apostles returned to Jesus and told them all that he, they had done and taught. Now remember earlier in this chapter, Jesus sends the disciples out to announce the kingdom in from his hometown to their hometowns, they're going to go out and declare the kingdom is at hand and they're going to perform miracles. And, and, but we saw in that section that it, it's mainly a ministry of pronouncing judgment. Because you're going to go into your hometowns, you're going to go to these cities and people are going to reject the kingdom. And when they do, I want you to shake the dust off your feet. I want you to declare to these towns and these homes and these people who reject Jesus that they are cursed. And so now they have returned from that mission trip and they're having a testimonial service like we do on Sunday nights for the mission team. And they're talking about all the decisions that were made on the mission trip. And they're talking about all the dust that they shook off of their feet. And they're trying to debrief with Jesus. But notice what happens, verse 31. And he said to them, come away by yourself to a desolate place. Now, that sounds very pretty and cute and neat when we first hear it. We think retreat center. People have even used this for the theme verse for their women's ministry retreats. Come away to a desolate place, except they would change that translation. But notice, as he continues, he says, and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to had no time to rest. They had no, literally, they had no time to stop. The demands of ministry did not stop after the mission trip. And as a matter of fact, the people just multiplied. He sent out 70 people with the power of the kingdom. And people are flocking to them now. People want to be healed of their diseases, so they're coming to the apostles. 
And they're just following them around. And so the demands of ministry are multiplying. And the disciples cannot even speak to one another. They can't stop. They can't stop serving the people. There's no time to eat. Now, the Savior does know here that they need rest. He does know that they need time to stop. But the place he takes them to stop and rest is really odd. He says, come away to the desolate place. Now, remember earlier in Mark, the desolate place is where Jesus went out to meet Satan in temptation. And we describe that place as barren. That was a place where there is nothing That is a dead place. That is a cursed place. There is nothing there. That is the wilderness that Jesus is calling the disciples to. And notice verse 32. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. And now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And so this boat that we've talked about so far in this section in Mark was probably owned by one of the disciples. And it is the boat where they are traveling from village to village to do ministry. And this boat over time would have become recognizable to all the crowds they ministered to. And so the crowds notice out on the sea, there is the boat. There are the disciples. There is Jesus And they began chasing and running after this boat. Can can you imagine looking out to sea and seeing the boat? And all of a sudden crowds begin to follow where the boat is going. And they are chasing the boat, trying to figure out how they can get out to Jesus. Just like kids who hear the ice cream truck. They are flying out of these villages to to get to the boat, to try to figure out where the boat is going. And as the boat moves along, the crowd just grows and grows and grows and grows. But remember where they're going, the desolate place. The boat is leading the crowds to the desolate place. Verse 34, and when he went ashore... He saw a great crowd. Remember, the crowd gets there before the boat. And notice he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them. And so they get to the retreat center, desolate place. And before Jesus, before he can get off the boat, there are thousands, literally thousands upon thousands of people before him. Now, if you're like the disciples, you're disappointed. Hey, I thought we were going to get some rest. I thought we were going to, I thought we were going to get some me time. I thought we were coming out here to to not do ministry. This is like when you, when you plan a beach vacation and, and you get there and you find out it's a roach motel. And then the co-workers that you were just trying to get away from, they're there in the room next to you. This would have been the same thing that goes on. Their heart sinks and they're frustrated and they're irritated with what's going on. But notice Jesus' response to the crowd. He had compassion on them. Now, this word for compassion, it is an intense word. We often think the word compassion, we think nice, sweet compassion. It it is a gut-wrenching word. 
It, it means when Jesus goes to step off the boat, he sees thousands of people and he gets sick at his stomach. It hurts him. It is an intense pain. Jesus, looking over the city of Jerusalem, had this intense, gut-wrenching pain in the depths of who he, who he was because he sees the desperation of the crowd. That they would go through all of this to get to the boat. That they would even follow him out into the middle of nowhere. Why? He says, because they are like sheep without a shepherd. Meaning they are just wandering around with no direction. The, the crowds of people, thousands of people who have sickness, who have disease, who, who have problems, who have issues, who realize Jesus is the only one who can take care of them. And they are willing to follow him even to the desolate place. And Jesus gets sick because there is such desperation before him. He describes the people in the most vivid Word to describe what unbelief is lost, lost, no direction, and you don't know where you are. And here are the crowds, and they are lost like sheep without a shepherd. They don't know where they're going. Now, this whole concept is used to refer to leaders in Israel often in the Bible. We think about the book of Ezekiel, where the prophet Ezekiel is rebuking the leadership in Israel of the day. And he says, you are like shepherds who are supposed to be feeding the sheep. And what you do is you mash down the green grass. You poison the grass for the people instead of taking care of them. With your false teaching. With your political power that you willed for your own good to the teachers and leaders of Israel. And here, out in the middle of nowhere, what we see with Jesus is a picture of Psalm 23, where we have a king who is a shepherd who has led his people into the valley of the shallow shadow of death. And even there, he's caring for them. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, he is feeding them green grass. And how is he doing it? He is teaching them. Notice the response of Jesus. In, instead of just restoring the disease that's before him, instead of just fixing all the problems, what he does is he teaches them. He leads them as a shepherd with the word of God. He teaches them about this kingdom that will forgive your sins. This kingdom that will be back from the dead, that will rule forever. They, they are like sheep and they don't know where they're going. And Jesus says, I'm going to tell you where to go. Come to me and come to my kingdom. And he begins to teach them all of these things. And he teaches them all day until verse 35. Notice. And when it grew late, this is after hours, the disciples came to him and said, now, notice Jesus spends all day teaching the crowds. And his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. Remember where you brought us, Jesus. You brought us out here in the middle of nowhere. And I thought we were going to have some prayer time. I thought we were going to be alone with you. And here we're out here with these crowds of people. And we need to remind you, there's, there's nothing out here. This is a barren place. This is a dead place. And the hour is now late. And notice their response. Send them away. 
to go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, the disciples don't see how in the world the thousands and thousands and thousands of people can find food where they are. We need to eat, and that's the need. We got to eat, so where are we going to eat? You're going to have to go back to the store. There ain't even a Dollar General out here, and they're everywhere. You're going to have to go back to town. This is a desolate place. There aren't fruit trees. There are no fish that we can eat out here. Send them away. Now, for the disciples, because of the people's need, they have become a burden. He says, we can't feed them anymore. But notice Jesus' answer. He doesn't say, yeah, you know, you're right. No, he just turns around to them and says, give them something to eat. Jesus does this so often. No, no, feed them. No, Jesus, do you understand this is a desolate place? There's nothing out here to eat. Feed them. No, y'all feed them. Go feed them. And they can't. There's no way they can feed them. They can't supply the need here. And then they, this is what I would do, just sort of a, a smart aleck remark here. Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to all of them? Now, this would have been eight months' salary for someone. Been probably about $20,000 during that time, which is an extravagant amount of money. And so they're being, they're being jerks to Jesus. Jesus, are you stupid? Well, you want us to go to town? You think we're going to find $25,000 worth of bread at night on a night like this? Is that what you want us to do? Really? We can't do that. You want to buy us a million dollars worth of bread? There's no way to feed all these people. They're being smart to Jesus. This is an impossible task. And this is where Jesus wants them to be. Do it. We can't. How in the world are we going to do this, Jesus? Really? Verse 38, he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Now, in that moment, they, don't, they probably don't have anything. He says, go and see. And they begin to survey the crowd. And it's probably a half-hearted effort. Really, he's got us out here looking for fish and bread. Really? Do you have some fish? Do you have? No, we don't have anything. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. That's all we can come up with. Now, if you're standing there, you would see thousands and thousands and thousands of people. So this is probably not even true. This is all they want it to do. Here's some bread. Here's some fish, Jesus. Really, this ain't going to work. And so then he says, in verse 39, he commanded them. Commanded. Sit down. <laughs> That's the way would have, he would have said it. Sit down. And they divide up into to small groups. Notice, on the green grass. The shepherd has led them to green grass. Now, what's odd about that? They're in the desolate place. And this is, a, this is a detail we often miss in the story. This is a desolate, dead place. And you sit down and all of a sudden there is green grass. What in the world is going on? Well, the shepherd has led them here to feed them. And they sat down in groups. Notice, by hundreds and fifties. And the numbers here, just to emphasize, there are thousands upon thousands and thousands of people. And Jesus, taking what they had brought to him, the five fishes, or five loaves and two fish, fishes, interest, he looked up to heaven. <laughs> Y'all didn't catch that. I've probably been saying that a lot, right? Have I? 
So anyway, he looked up into heaven and said a blessing. And he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. Now, right there, where does your mind go? The Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, he breaks the bread and gives it to his disciples. So we have the shepherd on green grass feeding the people. And then we're reminded of the shepherd who breaks the bread and says what? This is my body. This is my body. And he is feeding the bread to thousands of people. He gives it to the disciples and they set it before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And so all of a sudden you sit down and you're on green grass. And and this small amount of food begins to multiply before your eyes. And the disciples would have gone back to the baskets. They would have gone back to Jesus. And they would have turned around and there was more than everyone needed. And they begin to feed everybody. And the bread and the fish are being passed around. And then everybody goes, I'm full. Let's go back to the conference sessions. Jesus, get back up there and start teaching. We're ready to go for some more. They're full. They're satisfied. Notice verse 30, 43. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces. These are leftovers and fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Now, here the men are mentioned. There's probably just as many women. Probably 10,000 children who just followed along. Jesus feeds 25,000 people, at least, out of really nothing, out of what the disciples did not have. And these miracles of feeding the thousands upon thousands are the capstone miracles of Jesus. After Jesus does this, after he makes food out of nothing and feeds thousands upon thousands of people, those who were empty, those who were lost, and he fills their need, they try to make him king in this moment. They rally around him. We want you to be king right now. And they want a king who can heal their diseases and feed them out in the middle of nowhere. And Jesus is that king. But it's not time. He will feed them and heal their disease. But there's a cross before him. So as we, we read that story, there's all kinds of ways we think about it. But the reality is this story is more about the disciples than the multitudes. This story is more about ministry than the miracle. You see, Jesus has brought them out in the middle of nowhere. And you're thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. What about the rest? He must have lied to them. We're, we're going to take a break. We're going to take a sabbatical, guys. And we came out here in the middle of nowhere and there's crowds and you just welcomed them, Jesus. You started teaching. You always do that. Can't you say no, Jesus? We're going to burn out. We need some me time. And Jesus wanted them to feel that. Jesus wanted them to feel their inadequacy. Jesus wanted to prove a point to them and to us here, tired, weak and empty. You can't do what only Jesus can do. 
That's the point. And that's the point of ministry. And that's the point of your life. You can't do what only Jesus can do. And Jesus is going to make you tired and he's going to make you empty and he's going to make you weak to prove that point. And the more you try to do the things that only Jesus can do, the more tired you're going to get, the weaker you're going to be, and the more empty you're going to be. When you try to serve and do ministry by your own power, when you try to provide for those around you, you're going to constantly run up against the wall that says you can't, you don't have it, and you're not supposed to. Only Jesus can. Jesus proves a point here with ministry and mission, and he says we are to give what we don't have. That's the point of all ministry. That, 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 that's where we do ministry from. That's where we serve others. That's where we lead. We lead from what we don't have. And you're saying today, that's good news for me. Because I ain't got much left these days. This world is getting harder. This world is falling apart. And I ain't got the answers to fix it. I've already shared them all on Facebook. And it didn't change anything. Everything's still the same. I can't, I can't fix it. My family is dysfunctioning daily, and I don't have the answers. There are deeper issues in my life that I can't fix, that I can't change, problems I can't solve. And you look around at your family, and you look around at church folks, and you look around at your classmates, and you look around at the people that you work with, and you say, I feel like we're sheep without a shepherd. Where are we going? What are we doing? And I don't have the answers. And yet Jesus says, feed them. When you come to Jesus and you say, I don't have it. I don't have the answers. I don't have the power. He looks at you and says, feed them. Just like he did the disciples. And your response is to be, I can't. I can't. You're going to have to do it. And here's the reality. If you had enough money, skill, time, and energy to feed and take care of everybody around you, it still would not be enough. And it still would not be what they need. The point of the passage is that they need Jesus. The point of the passage is that's who we point them to. And what did Jesus teach us in the wilderness? What has he already taught us when he went out and faced Satan in temptation? What has he already taught us that we need in the wilderness of this world? This barren place that we feel as though it is, it is dying. You can feel the creaks of death in the world right now. What has Jesus already told us we need? Man shall not live on bread alone, but on Every word that comes from the mouth of God, the promises of God is all we have in this world. The promises of the gospel of God are all we have. And here is good news. The promise of God stands before us in flesh and blood and his name is Jesus. And he describes himself as bread from heaven. And what Jesus is saying is all you need is me and that's all you have. And that is what you are supposed to feed others. We must give others Jesus. We must bring others before Jesus and let him feed them. And we do so we give them everything they need. You see, the reality is in your life, the more you think of yourself as the provision for others, the more harm you're doing them the more you're leaving them desolate and empty because you're not Jesus. And so, look at me, leader, parent, 
teacher, BFG host, children's ministry worker, volunteer, youth leader, campus minister, anybody who is leading someone else here today, disciple maker, trying to be Jesus is too great of a burden for you to bear. And it's going to wear you out. So stop discipling people to think of you as the only one with all the answers. Stop telling and teaching and training your kids that they're going to need you forever and ever and ever because you're the only one who can fix all of their problems. Stop setting life up for them that way because you can't fix their problems. Stop, stop acting around the unbelievers in your life that if you're going to get saved and be a Christian, you got to look and you got to act like me and you got to have it all together and not do the things that you do, but you got to be strong. Stop. That's a false gospel that you're teaching others in your life because you're not Jesus. And that's too great of a burden to bear. And the disciples could not bear it. Stop trying to be the friend who has to know it all and do it all for everybody else. Now, out of your out of your own zeal and love for others, you should strive to serve others. You should sacrifice to for others. Paul said he was he would he would be spent and be spent for the sake of the gospel. And so we must serve to the point of exhaustion at times. I'm not saying don't serve. I'm saying stop trying to do it by your own power, because that's what's wearing you out. That's what's draining you. No, we point others to Jesus. God's going to take you to moments when you don't have enough fish and bread. And there is freedom in saying, no, I freak out and I get tired and I'm confused and I'm sinful because I'm not Jesus. And you make the gospel tangible in the lives of others. When you point to your weakness, when you point to your even sinfulness at times and you say, I can't feed you, but Jesus can. Let's go to Jesus. But before you realize he's all you have to give, you have to come to grips with he's all you have. You see, as we read this and we see this boat traveling across a body of water out to a wilderness place where Jesus feeds the people, our minds are immediately to go back to the miracle, the sign and wonder of the Old Testament, the Exodus. What does God do? He takes his people across a body of water. And where does he take them? He takes them to the wilderness to feed them. That's exactly what's going on here. Jesus is saying, I am a new exodus. And God took his people Israel to the wilderness to do things only he could do. And that's why God takes us to the wilderness where there's nothing around and we can't take care of ourselves, And he has to take care of us. Think about how the exodus started. At the Red Sea, the enemies of God, Pharaoh and the chariots, they're crashing down upon the people. And, and what, what is the response? Run, get away. Oh, we can't. We can't go anywhere. And what does God say through Moses? Just stop and watch this. I'm about to do something that you can't do. And he parts the Red Sea and they walk across and he destroys them. Only God could do that. And then he takes them out into the wilderness and there's no food. What are we going to eat? And he provides manna from heaven. Only God could do that. You see, God didn't lead the people of Israel 
out into the wilderness to feed them manna. See, that would be punishment. We're, we're, I'm going to take you out into the wilderness and I'm going to feed you this bland bread. See how you like that? No, he took them out into the wilderness not to feed them manna, but so that they would find him. To feed them himself. To give them himself. Because they didn't need manna. And eventually they didn't want manna. But they needed a God who could rain down bread from heaven. They needed God himself. And that's why Jesus takes the disciples to the desolate place. Not just to feed them fish and bread. But so they would find him. And they would feast upon him. This is why in the Gospels Jesus referred to himself. He says, I am the bread from heaven. Not just I'm going to give you bread. I'm the bread. I'm the manna that you needed from heaven, straight from God. I am the provision. Why? Because you need more than fish and bread. You need more than gas. You need more than a tax break. You need more than money. You need more than the relationships that you are longing for. You need a king who can make bread and fish out of nothing. You need the king more than anything. And if God is going to give you that king in Jesus, he's given you everything you need. And then as needed, he's going to give you fish and bread and money and a tax break if you need those things. He's going to, he's going to give you relationships. He's going to give you gas, maybe in a plastic bag from your neighbor. He's going to give you what you need. Maybe you don't need to go to Florida. But he's going to give you what you need. And what we need is Jesus. And if he's given us Jesus, we can trust him to give us whatever else we need. But we're not in the wilderness to find food, but to find Jesus. And maybe that's where you are today. Maybe some of you, and I'll just say this as your pastor. There's a lot of heavy stuff going on in this place these days. A lot. And if you're the person who says, I'm in the wilderness and I'm desolate and I have nothing, let me just tell you, you ain't the only one. Some of you have less power than you've ever had physically because you're sick. Some of you don't have a voice and influence in people's lives anymore and it's frustrating you. Some of you have less provision than you've ever had. The Biden bucks are gone and the bills keep coming. You say, what in the world are we going to do? Or Trump bucks, whatever y'all want to call them. But it's gone. There's nothing there. There's no resource. There's no provision. There's nothing in storage. Well, God's brought you to this place for self-care. It doesn't involve glamping. He's brought you here to find Him in a place where there's nothing Maybe you're at a point in your life where the weakness and wilderness is caused by the sins of others. I know a lot of you here today have been hurt by others in your life. Parents who you trusted. Spouses who you trusted. Friends who you trusted. And you feel like you're in a desolate place with no friends. Where you're alone. You feel that in a way you've never felt it in your whole life. And people have let you down. One of the things that we say around here a lot is we are sinful and we're not sovereign, so we can't be saviors. 
And nobody else in your life but Jesus can be your Savior. And so maybe Jesus has brought you to this point where you've been hurt, you've been betrayed, and life is hard to remind you nobody else is your Savior. Jesus is your Savior. And He brought you here to feast upon Him and to trust in His righteousness. He is perfect. He is pure. So you can trust everything that He does is good. He has brought you here to this desolate place to look for Him. People get tired. People get weak. Jesus is back from the dead. Right? You see how that works out? We get tired. We get weak. We don't have anything in and of ourselves. But Jesus is a former corpse. You can trust Him. We're sinful. We don't always do the right thing. Jesus is pure and he dies for sin. Maybe you're in a desolate place today because you feel your own sin and guilt in ways you've never felt it before. God has brought certain trials into your life and difficulties into your life. And you feel the sinfulness in your heart in ways that you've never felt it before. Maybe you're just in that season of life and you're discontent. Or maybe you're frustrated with others. Maybe you lack direction and you look in the mirror and you say, what is wrong with you? What's going on with you? And you feel your sin in ways that you've never felt it. Out in the wilderness, you are realizing that the toilet paper thin righteousness that you have is really nothing. And you've got to look to Jesus, who is perfect, who is righteous. The law of God says, feed me. And you say, I don't have anything to give you. I'm guilty, condemned. You know what Jesus says? Come to me, I'll feed you. Come to me, I will feed you. I am bread from heaven. And this odd thing, when we read Jesus talking to his disciples, and he says, if you're going to follow me, and it is an odd statement, and I've looked at it and translated it and thought about it over and over again, when Jesus looks to his disciples and he says, if you're going to follow me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, that is one of the verse you don't use for evangelism. Because you won't be the one freaking out. It will be the people you're sharing with that will freak out. But he said those words, eat my flesh and drink my blood. What does that mean? Well, Jesus is saying there, I'm the bread you need. And, And in my flesh, there is perfection and there is righteousness. There is a life you couldn't live. And in my blood, there is a payment of sin that you couldn't pay for yourself. And if you're going to follow me, you've got to trust in my flesh, in my blood, my righteousness, and my payment for your sin. That is your only hope. And you have to feast upon me and trust in me and believe in me the same way you eat food daily. Why? Because you will die without it. And Jesus says, if you're not feasting on my righteousness and my payment for your sin, you will die eternally. And so you must trust me like bread and eat and be satisfied in my life and my death for you. Tired, weak and empty, we come to the wilderness, not for a camping trip. But as that writer of Hebrews says, come on outside the city. Come on outside of the city. Come outside the camp is what he says. And let's go to a place of death. Maybe you're here today and you're worn out and you're tired and you just feel your sin. I want to invite you today, come to the cross. Come out to Golgotha. And don't be scared to leave everything else at home. Don't be scared 
to leave your righteousness at home. Don't bring that little pathetic tent out here to Calvary because you don't need it. It's no use. Jesus is your righteousness. Jesus is your power. Jesus is your strength. Don't bring anything to the cross. Come to this desolate place of death to be fed everything. And don't just camp there. Live there.